You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast, and welcome to episode number 350. This feels big. I don't know why. It just is. So thank you for being here. And gosh darn it, thank you if you've been here for all 350 episodes. We give you the Well-Fed Women Award. And I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a virtual hug from Steph and I, but Lord knows you are our people and you deserve a hug for that. I am your host, Noelle Tarr of CoconutsAndCutterballs.com. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Ruth Ruper, who is an author, PhD, and founder of PaleoForWomen.com. She's now has a real job. So we're just going to have to hear more about that in the coming years. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the age-old debate of cardio versus strength training and which to do first. We're also going to be talking about tension headaches, liquid versus powdered collagen supplements and which is superior, and struggling with hormonal imbalances and digestive issues and how those really go hand in hand. But before we get into that fun, if you're feeling completely overexposed to stress, you're not alone. Overstimulation can cause chronic cortisol production, sleep issues, anxiety, and subsequently, that can make you more prone to getting sick after being exposed to a virus. And one of those sources of stress that a lot of people write off is overexposure to blue light, which quite frankly is upwards of 12 hours a day for some people, including myself. And it wasn't until I started using my Juve red light therapy device on a daily basis that I really understood how much it was impacting me. I was really skeptical about red light therapy for years, but after reviewing the clinical studies and literature on red light therapy from Juve, I was really excited to start experimenting with it. Most of you know I struggled severely with mastitis infections, which is an infection in your breast tissue when you are breastfeeding. And I actually had it eight separate times. It's it's like the flu. And you're, it's just so painful. And I got my Juve red light therapy device when he was about, my son was four months old, and I started using it daily. And then when I would feel an infection coming on, I would jump in front of the red light and treat it. And for the last four times, for the first four times that I had mastitis, I had to do antibiotics because it would not clear. And the last four, I didn't need antibiotics because... I got in front of that red light, and it was such a blessing not having to do more antibiotics, and it cleared it quickly, like within 12 hours. So red light therapy stimulates energy production in the body by improving mitochondrial function. Studies show red light therapy reduces inflammation. It speeds up muscle recovery and aids in the healing of an injury. It can significantly improve sleep, circadian rhythms, and overall mood, including anxiety and depression. If you didn't know, declining mitochondrial function is actually what causes aging, the signs of aging. So it can also improve hair growth, which we discussed all of those studies on a recent episode, and collagen production in your skin. And thyroid warriors, this, there's even research that shows targeted therapy may reduce your need for thyroid medication. I have the Juve Mini. It's set up right beside my desk. 
And I, you really only need to use it twice a day for 10 minutes a day. Although I was up early this morning working on these podcasts and I just sat in front of it for like two hours, which was awesome. So go to juve.com, J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed. You'll get an exclusive discount on Juve's newest devices. Again, that's code well-fed. You should get $50 off your purchase. I think that's what I saw it was. So jump on it. Get that discount. Get your red light therapy device in your home. It is worth it. And you it's an investment that you'll have for years. You know, it's something that you're going to be using now, but a decade from now because it's high quality. It's going to work long term. And it's actually the scientifically studied wavelengths that you need. Juve.com, J-O-O-V-V.com slash well-fed. Happy 350, Steffi. Hi, I was thinking, um, do I get an award? <laughs> You were talking about giving awards to uh, mm-hmm. to our listeners. I'm just kidding. I don't I mean, want an award. The I true... can give you an award if you want to give me an award. Oh, we absolutely. We can give each other awards. Yeah. I yeah. my life like I don't my life is dedicated to Noel Tar. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I do in my life is dedicated to Noel Tar. Um yeah, I'm just kidding. I don't want an award. I'm so honored and blessed by Noelle's presence in my life and this community. No, it was recently my birthday and Noelle was like, y'all blow up Steph's DMs, which by the way, don't make me as anxious as they used to. So feel free to blow up my DMs. Okay, good. <laughs> I was a little worried about that. But yeah. I've been doing work on it. No, thank you so much. It's great. Um, I am capable of leaving messages unanswered overnight. So there we go. That's big progress for me. Um I think I've told you all that I used to, you know, always just really feel the need to respond all the time. And now I do less so, which is great. But my point is, <laughs> it is such an honor and a privilege. And um, yeah, my reward is being able to be a part of this, which is just, you know, really remarkable. So really, thank you all. Mm. Yeah, 350. Da, 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 da. Yeah, my note under here is when we first started, did you ever think we'd be doing 349 more? I'm pretty sure I didn't think. You know what? Way. I absolutely did. Really? Well, I wouldn't say that I like sat and thought, okay, like six years from now, we're going to whatever. But I'm not surprised. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Maybe a little pleasantly surprised that everything has been so smooth, but not surprised because you're wonderful. You know what I mean, though? Like, (laughs) Noelle, we've like we've had. You know what I mean? Like everything has just been. We wrote a book together and we've never been in a fight ever. Ever. Really? It's just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Like every once in a while, we might like kind of disagree about something or be trying to figure out how to make something work. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe Noelle's like been secretly fighting with me (laughs) and putting on a happy face. (laughs) So funny. Um, Like, Uh, you know, we've done a lot of things that could stir up conflict. And I've heard of a lot of issues and conflict that could happen that does happen in a variety of all of the things we've done books podcasts you know businesses and i i think there might have been i can't remember now so i guess not but i felt like there might have been something in the book where we we had a disagreement but the thing is y'all if there's a disagreement steph's like i defer to you like she <laughs> she does not there's just no there's no path for disagreement so i think we both Obviously, there is there's connection and chemistry and we love each other. But the way in which you run your business has always been others first. And I've been able to benefit from that greatly. So 
<laughs> well, likewise, I mean, I do learn so much from um, Noel's way of being in the world, you know, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really remarkable. Um, I think Noel does a really amazing job, both like sticking to what needs to be stuck to. Like, I think that that's really important. Um, and also being like extremely loving and compassionate. Like you don't see those things happening at the same time a lot. I think mm. that that's just like something really worth aspiring to. So um, anyway, <laughs> Noelle's very cool. Welcome to episode 350 of Stephanie <laughs> fangirling over Noelle. Um, <laughs> which is, yeah, no, it's very real. Um, I will say when I was recently applying for this job, uh, it's an academic job kind of. And so I used a bunch of academic references, but I kept being like, are you sure you don't want to talk to Noel? <laughs> <laughs> it's an academic job, kind of. I would I would. It's yeah, pretty I'll, academic. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all about it. So um, I think oh. I'm allowed. To, it's on my LinkedIn. So I'm allowed to say it publicly. Oh, okay. um, I'm a researcher now for the Harvard Business School, which is very exciting. Very, very exciting. Um, yeah. It's yeah. uh, going to be really wonderful, I think. It's a great fit for me. And, you know, I spent so much time really uh, struggling a little bit because I had these two things that meant a lot to me. Like I had my research, my work in the academy, and I had this, you know, and, and my business experience and my desire to like be enterprising. And it was really hard for me to find anybody on either side that saw and cared about the whole thing. And then I finally had this realization a month or two ago. I was like, business school. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean, I kind of started thinking about it a little bit, but um, I really do feel like this is kind of like a fantastic harmony of of the stuff that I've been doing. Um, mm -hmm. And to be able to be living in Cambridge and um, working at Harvard is, again, like just such an enormous um, honor and privilege. So cool. So, yeah, so cool that you got your apartment and you moved to Boston. You got this apartment. It's overlooking Harvard. Harvard, and then you get a job there. It's just amazing. It's just I, and it wasn't the you. plan when I came here either. And, you know, like I just I had to let things be like feel really bad for quite a while. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like and and I think I've, I just I learned patience and I learned to listen to that, you know, because what I was trying to do wasn't really it wasn't serving me. It wasn't serving anybody. You know, mm -hmm. and um, instead of ignoring it, because it was painful, to, really painful to look at. Like I threw, I didn't throw away, but like I walked away from decades, it, literal decades of like what I was thinking my life and my purpose and all that were going to be. Um, and it was really hard. But once I started doing that, I had things just, things are just kind of, and I'm not saying that that's always how it goes, but it's just really remarkable that, you know, things are slotting into place and I'm feeling more um, peaceful, which is my mm -hmm. favorite thing because peace isn't always, you know, necessarily easy to come <laughs> by these days. So, um, yeah, I feel very lucky and, uh, happy dare I say. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I'm, I love that I get to send you birthday cards now. <laughs> oh my goodness. When you told me you got an apartment, I'm like, what's your address <laughs> Give it to me now? Cause I never, I did it once and it was like $18 to send like a card over to UK and I was like, okay, this stinks. <laughs> okay, last time. Thank you so much. See, there's more examples. This is what I'm talking about, about Noelle's like, you know, thoughtfulness and compassion. Um, I'm holding the card in my hand right now because it's on my table um, all the time since my birthday. And it's a hedgehog 
I just can't. It's the cutest thing. It's a hedgehog holding this like balloon and the hedgehog's hands are like in front, like cute, like hedgehog hands. And there's a birthday hat. And the best part about this birthday hat is it's got flowers and rhinestones on it. I just, (laughs) it makes me so happy. So, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. I'm excited. And to think I tried to get you to move here to D.C. I was it's, like, you- uh, it's not in a few years. I don't know. We'll see. Hold my breath. <laughs> you're you're exactly where you need to be. And I'm very excited for you. And Thank we're you. recording four episodes in the next few days because you're starting your job. And it's like, what's your you're like, I don't know what my schedule's going to be. I don't know. Like, so. You're in real life academia now working for Harvard. So whenever you can grace us with your presence, we will be <laughs> very excited. But yeah, Thank we're trying to I, I, on our Facebook. I was like, hey, give us ask us anything. Like, give us everything because we got to we got four episodes. We're banging out a lot of questions. So, um, yeah, here we go. Some of those today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and this is a uh, sort of Thanksgiving close to it. November 16th. <laughs> so y'all know I always send out my Black Friday sales email because I am Black Friday sales queen. Beauty Counter is likely going to have a side-wide sale. Primarily Pure will as well. It's typically like free shipping and then they do, I can't remember, but it'll be good. Primal Kitchen does too and Blue Blocks. I know Blue Blocks, so the I'm going to actually be buying more summer glow lights during the sale because I really want them in my kids' rooms and at my desk, so I'm going to buy four. So this is the time to kind of stock up on the stuff. Um, I don't know if Juve's going to do a Black Friday sale, but I will let you know in my email. I'm thinking the best way for for clean beauty, it's coconutsandcuttables.com slash beauty. But for my like Black Friday, here's all the sales that I found email. I th- I'm thinking it's just coconutsandcuttables.com slash got, uh, no, cookies. <laughs> Coconutsandcuttables.com slash cookies. It's my cookie guide. That's just like my general list and I'll send out an email all those sales it's very exciting time um okay let's jump into questions question number one is from alexis she says how to balance cardio and strength workouts for general fitness i'm doing the workout plan from your book and i'm not sure if swimming after going is to met after is after let's say one of the workouts in the book is going to mess with my gains laugh out loud i only have a few hours per week at the gym so it's more convenient to do both at the same time let me know your thoughts also your book is a treasure trove thank you heart heart yay uh so i started doing a little bit more digging about this because i have opinions but they're not oh (laughs) not formally backed up by you know, you know what I mean? I don't have yes. a, a list in my head. Anyway, um, but I have so much to say about the other questions. Maybe you just want to use your expertise because okay. whatever I say, Noelle's is going to be better than mine. So. Well, how about I just say what my thoughts are and then I want to hear your opinion. Um, well, let me say mine first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please do. I'm going to say the exact same thing I say for every single exercise question we've ever gotten. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Well, I just want to know what you do. Okay. So I have my own opinion like Stephanie, but I did was like, well, is there research on this? And the studies show. So when we like there are studies out there that look at, okay, strength. And maybe this is not like the detailed. You didn't want this much detail, but here we go. So when there are studies that look at, okay, strength first or aerobic training 
first. And, you know, we reverse, we take very small groups of people. So these are very preliminary, just like experimental, like eight people or 12 people. Like we can't make real big claims from this, but we can say, okay, here's what the general idea is. And when we look at that, there are no significant variances in things like oxygen uptake during the workout and also post-excess, post-exercise oxygen consumption. That's that EPOC we've talked about here, which is essentially your metabolism boost post-exercise. So regardless of what you do, you're not going to see in terms of your order of your workouts, you're just not going to see a difference. What is impacted is fatigue. So there is a study that I found that was pretty comprehensive, said strength training prior to endurance exercise, impact on neuromuscular system, endurance performance, and cardiorespiratory responses. So what they concluded was the time to exhaustion was significantly higher during endurance exercise alone than when performed after hypertrophic strength training or plyometric strength training. So in other words, time to exhaustion was higher. Time to exhaustion, it took longer for people to get tired when it was a standalone workout versus when they did it after some sort of strength training. I think that that's pretty obvious. I think we can all conclude that. But it is important, I think, to look at that within the context of somebody's individual physiology. These results suggest that endurance performed performance may be impaired when preceded by strength training with no oxygen uptake or heart rate changes during the exercise. So it doesn't affect heart rate uh, heart rate or oxygen uptake, but your endurance, your fatigue is going to be impacted when you have strength training beforehand. So I think it is safe to make the conclusion that whatever comes second in your workout, you're going to fatigue faster and not be able to perform at maximum capacity. Now, here's my opinion. I think strength first because strength is the priority. Now, when I was in my 20s, I would always do cardio first because that warmed you up. And then I would do strength training. But I was doing strength training like machines, things that weren't really like I wasn't working like I do now with strength training, which is I have to be 100% focused because my strength training is a little bit more intense. It's heavier. And there's typically little rest, and I do not want to screw up my form. So strength is first for me, and I think it should be first for most people because I think everybody should be strength training. You need to make sure that you are using proper form. Strength requires intensity. It requires balance. It requires anaerobic work. And if you do cardio or aerobic work first, you're going to use up a lot of those energy stores needed to perform that strength work. Strength is actually intensity. It's high-intensity work. And so I like doing strength work that ends with maybe a five-minute EMOM. Every minute on the minute, you do a set, you know, a certain number of reps and exercises, you know, every time you hit that top of the minute at five minutes, at four minutes, at three minutes, at two minutes. Or an AMRAP where, let's say, so I'll do 25 minutes of strength training and then I'll finish it with an AMRAP, you know, five kettlebell swings, five walking lunges, and five push presses with heavier weights. And I'll do that over and over and over and over and over again until the five minutes is up. And that really gets your heart rate up. That's like a quick finisher and you're done. I think that if you're trying to prioritize a high-intensity workout session, that you should consider just doing that. You can follow it up with maybe something like, say you're going to do a high-intensity cycling session. 
that's your priority for the day. You really want to be focused on your efforts and working at maximum capacity and all that kind of stuff. That's your priority. You can definitely finish that with like upper body strength. I wouldn't think, I don't think it needs to be like heavy sets, like three to five reps or six, even six reps. Maybe it's like higher reps. Maybe you're using a TRX. Maybe you're doing core work. Maybe you're using bands. You could do that after your high intensity interval training set. And I think that that could be a great complement to that high intensity interval training set if you wanted to incorporate strength on those days as well. Um, it just it just kind of depends on what's most important to you. But I would do heavier, like lower body strength workouts when you do the swimming. I'm not sure if your swimming's high intensity or more cardio based, but you could definitely do like heavier strength, focus on that, and then swim after, and you're not going to have a problem. Really, what you need to focus on is fueling for your gains. I recommend drinking Element, so make sure you're drinking Element while you're doing your strength training. Maybe taking some branch chain amino acids right after you're at that strength training effort because you really want to be recovering and repairing from that heavier load. I'm not sure like how long it takes for you to actually get in the pool, but do your element, do or an electrolyte replacement, do some branch chain amino acids. If you can do a little snack, then do your swim, then eat again, eat something bigger, more substantial. What do you do, Stephanie? Yeah, so I also really prioritize strength. Um, that is my priority. I actually, these days I don't do cardio workouts. I also dance several hours a week, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which is movement. And sometimes it depends on who I'm dancing with. Sometimes it can be kind of, you know, take a lot of <laughs> cardio fitness. Often it doesn't. Um, but because I do that and I don't do cardio workouts, if I weren't doing that, I would probably be cycling uh, a couple times a week, maybe two or three, depending on how long they were and how intense they were. But uh, my priority is strength building, which does, uh, you know, get my heart rate up um, depending on the day. And I do it, I would say most days a week, maybe four or five, four, five. And um, yeah, I do it every morning. And I... I, that's my priority for so many reasons, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I, I a big among them is the fact that I enjoy it more. Um, I don't I'm not in a phase right now. I've go through I've gone through phases and some phases in my life. I've loved like like a spinning class, you know, getting on the bike and going really, really hard for an hour or something. Uh, that's not something I really want to be doing right now. So I'm not, you know, but I have other forms of exercise that are, you know, very enriching. So, uh, you know, me, that's uh, that's. That's very much what I would say all the time. Okay, so here's here's what we need. We all need from you. You need question number two is from Teresa, and she says, "Talk to me about tension headaches that turn into migraines. Anything to prevent heal from these? Do you have any thoughts on this, Stephanie? Any at all? <laughs> yeah, I will try to be as quick as possible. You don't have to do that. You can just take your time. I can also amend my discussion. I appreciate it, but." Thanks. We are uh, we are sort of this is why Steph's being like, well, I have to now I have this thing where I have to go pick up my kids. So I have like an actual stop time. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you being aware of that. But you just you do you. Great. Thank you. Also, <laughs> uh, we used to answer three questions and now sometimes we have four. <laughs> I'm like, OK, I just am not always certain that we're going to have a lot to talk about with. So it's. <laughs> 
350 episodes of us always running out of time and Noelle's not certain if we're going to have enough to talk about. So yeah, funny. I, I know preparedness is important. I want to um, get to everybody's questions. Okay. Yes. Very okay. It's my, it's, yeah. My, okay. It's personal problems. You're great. Okay. Tension headaches that turn into migraines. So I experienced these too. Our inf- headaches are influenced by so many things. Uh, tension headaches are our particular class of headache uh, that have to do with stress and muscle tension. But of course, they can also be influenced by other underlying things, right? They can be influenced by uh, dehydration. They can be influenced by blood vessels expanding and contracting, which comes from also many things. They can be influenced by your histamine status, which is related to blood vessels expanding and contracting. Uh, they can be related to um, stress in your body uh, for uh, in, by other biochemical pathways other than muscle tension. And so there's a lot that can contribute to every kind of headache. Like I can't state that enough. Uh, and it's important to, I think, pay attention to all of the potential variables because, again, I experienced tension headaches my whole life. And now I'm realizing that underneath all of that, I have a histamine intolerance. <laughs> and uh, ta-da! And has been playing a role my whole life and I'm working on it now, but I also really like drinking coffee. So we'll see. (laughs) But anyway, muscle tension plays a role in headaches because there are, I would say, generally speaking, there's two primary sources of pain for headaches. Uh, One is stimulation of the head pain area in your brain. And that's like lights up like a firework when you have migraines, right? And then... Uh, the other one is the nerves between your blood and your blood vessels and your muscles in your head. <laughs> and then, of course, if you excite the head pain part of your brain, right, like that will, you know, they can feed off of one another. Uh, but tension headaches fall into this camp of the muscles squeeze you know, they get tight and then that puts pressure on the nerves between your blood vessels and your muscles. And so a very major thing you can do for, you know, relieving tension headaches, and I do this all the time, stretch, massage, hot shower, all three of those things make a huge impact on my headaches when they're coming from my muscles. Um, Stretching your neck very important, um, especially the front of your neck. It, you know, it depends on where you carry your tension, um, but leaning your head back, stretching it from side to side, holding it, breathing through it for, you know, 10, 20 seconds, what have you. Um, that stuff is really important. Yawning also, <laughs> uh, will stretch aspects of your jaw and your face and in your throat that are really hard to get to. I'm a huge fan of yawning for headaches. Helps me so much. Uh, But of course, that varies for a lot of people. Heat is great for tension headaches. And you might also want to get like a rice bag or one of those bags that you throw in the microwave and heat up and then put it on your head. That feels great. Um, for me, I, uh, you could try taking pain meds, uh, of course I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Um, only because (laughs) I'm personally discovering that, uh, they surprise, uh, can play a role in making me more histamine intolerant. So I'm currently not really doing them a lot, but 
those are important things to do when you're like, as soon as you start getting a headache, like drop, if your, if your headaches get worse, mine always get worse, drop what you're doing and address it now. Because then my tension headaches, they do what yours presumably do, which is they become migraines or they become extremely painful. And it doesn't really matter <laughs> what you're calling it at that point in time. Taking the time to address it sooner rather than later will save you time, will save you energy. So, yeah, so there's all that sort of stuff. Of course, long-term reducing stress, <laughs> sleeping more helps with that so much. Looking at other potential causes. Oh, I want to throw meditating in for, for stress and tension headaches. That's, that's very helpful for me. Deep breathing, very helpful. If you can activate your parasympathetic response, get your body to calm down, that can help so much. For the brain excitability side, there's so much there. Um, bright lights and uh, can excite, you know, flashing lights can be way overstimulating for the brain. Of course, it can also cause you to squint, which causes tension headaches. So <laughs> bright light can be on both sides. Um, blue light, of course, is even more stimulating. And so um, I've got orange filters on everything. Um, I try to get exposure to sunlight, regular light by being outside in the day. Uh, because that's really helpful for serotonin production and your circadian rhythm. But all of my screens are orange almost all the time, unless I'm shopping. <laughs> I need to be precise about the colors. So um, light can be a thing. Um, magnesium deficiency can be a thing. I'm a huge fan of magnesium threonate, which can cross the blood-brain barrier and help the brain do some uh, I want to say downregulating, inhibitory processes, right? Not inhibitory, downregulating. So your brain has uh, the ability with its neurotransmitters to sort of, and I'm overgeneralizing here, to upregulate and become more excited. And then to also like relax. Magnesium really helps your brain do that. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that help your brain do that. Uh, magnesium, like I mentioned, is on that list. Um, anything... Uh, that helps your body produce GABA. I happen to now know that um, histamine actually helps keep the brain awake. And so I'm working on my histamine status for that reason as well. And it plays a role of blood vessels. Like it's just all this stuff. It's just very interconnected. Um, so magnesium is great for that. I also take glycine at night. Glycine is an amino acid uh, that you will often read is abundant in the diet and you probably don't need to take it. But the problem is glycine is found primarily in um, collagen, bones, joints, skin, etc. I said collagen, I meant skin. Um, and uh, not so much in muscle meats. And muscle meats are a huge part of our diet and all the other stuff isn't. And so glycine is often underrepresented in our bodies relative to methionine. They, you know, they need to be in balance. And so I take glycine every night. I take half for actually recently, I started taking a whole um, capsule and I slept like a rock and I started getting like way over drowsy. So I'm back down to half, but that, that demonstrated to me that it was uh, important, you know, that it was doing something. So uh, yeah, I take glycine. That's very helpful. Um, you might want to look for other food triggers. Uh, caffeine <laughs> uh, can go one way or the other. Anything that's a diuretic, really salty food, um, soy sauce, for example, uh, that sort of thing can dehydrate you, which plays a role. Electrolyte replenishing is really important because you want it. You need to be well hydrated to not get headaches. Otherwise, your you know your blood vessels are going to expand and contract in a way that is 
uh, painful. You might want to look at time of the month correlations because estrogen and progesterone play a role at, you know, blood vessels expanding and contracting. They also play a role in, in histamine. And so all of this stuff is deeply interconnected. Uh, but very generally speaking, anything you can do to calm down your muscles, calm down your blood vessels, calm down excitability in your brain. Like those are the, those are the big hitters. Uh, and for anything that you experience as a migraine, of course, there are medications. I do take, I do take them, uh, sometimes when I, when I feel something coming on. Um, but that's so much about excitability in the brain. And so, um, that's why bright lights, loud sounds, what have you, um, can be problematic. And, uh, yeah. And I would look into, I, again, histamine is, is, is quite correlated with migraines, um, <laughs> chocolate, alcohol, uh, I would definitely look into those kinds of things, but hitting those major places of winding down, I think is is really, really important. Okay. That's my TED talk on headaches. TED talk. Uh, yeah. I, the only thing I will add is that um, I've been recently getting more tension headaches and I do definitely correlate it to screen time and how I'm actually sitting at my desk. So I recently had the epiphany. I was getting like these horrible tension headaches that by the end of the day, like I could hardly keep my eyes open. Just looking at the TV would bother me. So I'd like have my orange glasses on like at dinner. Um, and it just I was like, what am I doing here? So I have these like trigger point balls and I would be able to kind of like release tension in my neck and it would make it feel better. And I had this epiphany that my I'm looking down at my computer all day. And so I have. You know, I have the things to raise my computer, but why don't I use them? It's because I really don't I don't have a separate keyboard and I have a, a laptop with a trackpad. So I want, you know, I want my I want to have the ergonomic ergonomics there so it's not bothering my wrists and my elbows. And once I lifted, I had a ton of just tedious work to do with the website and I was really struggling this past week and I was like, what is going on? And I had to do the work. I had to get it done. I couldn't just not. So I actually was like, maybe if I raised my computer. So I raised my computer up. I actually have it tilted back. Well, the keyboard is, um, I have it tilted in a way. It's a, it's a really cool stand that sort of allows you to almost have it so that your laptop is completely open and sitting on this stand so that it's not just you're raising it as a whole so that you're it's it's actually like it's tilted up and you're you can kind of look right at it anyway and I could kind of use the keyboard and the trackpad as needed but any I'm going to get a separate keyboard is is really what it comes down to it made a huge difference being able to not be looking down but looking up and having my shoulders relaxed and I haven't had any tension headaches since then. I've definitely dr struggled with eye fatigue and that creates more tension in my neck and, and around um, my temples. And But if I'm actively using the trigger point balls at night and uh, around my neck and underneath my neck and even just all over my head, um, back of my head, and have that keyboard, um, the computer up, it makes a huge difference. So, Yep. 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 I have, I have stands. Um, I, I use them too. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. Question number three is from Amy. Liquid collagen versus powdered collagen as a daily supplement for perimenopause, 49 years old. I've been supplementing with Ancient Nutrition 5 Source and have recently heard liquid is better absorbed by the body. Not sure how valid that statement is. Thanks. 
Thank you so much for asking. So <laughs> Noelle and I, I saw in Noelle's notes uh, a link to a website that, that was all about like how liquid collagen is great. And I have just looked at the website <laughs> and been like, you know, chortle, 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 snort, snort, snort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'll just, I'm going to start with my short answer and then we can, I don't know, then we can just talk about this, yeah, but, yeah. um, it's important to have, uh, hydrolyzed collagen, but powdered collagen can be hydrolyzed. And here's the thing. When you put it in water, it instantly becomes liquid collagen. <laughs> and, um, so right. no liquid collagen actually isn't more absorbable than the powdered form. And in fact, um, I might lean, more towards the powdered be if it depends on what it says on the label in terms of what it's sourced from and the type of collagen it is. There are different kinds of collagen, type one, type two, type three. At least from what I've read, it seems like type one and three, which are the ones that are actually in your skin, <laughs> are the ones more predominant in powdered collagen. Liquid collagen is often type two, uh, which is important, but it's more found in like your joints and stuff. And so it depends on what you're trying to address here. But you want to look at the type of collagen and also uh, grass-fed cows. If it's marine collagen, what kind? You know, is it wild caught? Is it algae? Is it, you know, where is it from? That sort of thing. Um, but I would look at those factors as opposed to whether it's suspended in a liquid, which isn't, a need, it doesn't need to be a thing. It's just marketing, I think. Marketing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I put two links in here. And the second one, I was like, this is kind of funny. And then you're like, I saw that one, too. Like your notes. That's the one we were both like <laughs> laughing at is because the marketing they use to try to sell the liquid collagen as superior is really charming. And there was wait, I'm sorry. They they used um like three studies to show yes. that like, absorbable and they looked at like potassium and uh, a blood like thinner, a, a blood thinner. Yes. I was like, that was what? the research. That's why it was so funny. And then it had a little graph that showed like why it was more absorbable. And I was like, but wait, <laughs> like you just made that up. Right. Like the numbers didn't come from anywhere. You just made it up. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I find it. I just it's just interesting. I guess when you know and I know all the community, all of you listening, you guys know you get it. Marketing sells, marketing diets, marketing products. And it's just this one company that we found just did it really funny. Anyway, it's I I tried to see, OK, was there any research that looked at liquid collagen versus powdered collagen? The answer is no. And if you do look at the research on collagen in general, I looked at a couple like medical news today talked about there are benefits. There's lack of research that looks specifically at liquid collagen. However, According to a 2020 review, collagen supplementation in general may, and there's all these wonderful health benefits. We've talked about all these, you know, slows the formation of fine lines and wrinkles, improves skin ability to absorb and maintain moisture, uh, and improves skin texture, and reduces cellulite and skin waviness. It's all these things. Like, collagen is important for skin. There's also been, I think there was like a, tw a 2018 study Participants who drank a liquid supplement containing hydrolyzed fish collagen daily for 90 days experienced an improvement in skin structure, electricity, and hydr hydration. The same trial participants who consumed liquid collagen supplement received uh, experienced roughly 43% reduction in joint pain and 39% improvement in joint mobility. However, the supplement also contained other ingredients such as amino acids, vitamins, minerals, making it unclear if the collagen was responsible for the changes. So 
And then we have another one just about bioactive collagen, about nail growth and an improved nail breakage and just like the amount of collagen needed to actually see these results. There is nothing that says liquid collagen is better than powdered collagen. In fact, most of the research that we say that says that collagen is so wonderful is is not liquid, in quotations, collagen. And just to make sure I wasn't missing something, I'm like, well, what is liquid collagen? Is it not just collagen dissolved in water? And essentially it is the this brand, which it's just what comes up first when you search it in Google. They did use these studies. The 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 study that they used here, here, and here, they said, which is funny. It's like, look at these studies that talk about how liquid liquids are liquid nutrients are absorbed better. One of the studies had disappeared. The other one is stuff said was potassium. And then the one, the main one, the primary one, showed that a type of medication, a blood thinner, was better absorbed through a nasogastric tube, so a tube that goes through your nose, versus pill form. I don't think that really translates over in this scenario, but A for effort, maybe. So what it really comes down to is convenience. And that's essentially what they were saying, like in this. I mean, they were really selling it hard, which was which was cute. It was it was good. You know, it was a nice attempt. But if you just kind of read through it, they were like, well, I mean, everybody's so busy and it's really hard to remember to open up. I mean, they went in detail to like unscrew a jar and open it up and put a scoop in every single morning. Like that's really hard to remember. It's way easier just to throw this liquid collagen shot in your purse and head out. And so it's just like these many different, you know, it all came down to convenience because it's just collagen dissolved in water. Now, if you want to take the collagen shots, I think Vital Proteins has collagen shots. I think that's fantastic. Like, do that. And I, I'm not opposed to that because, quite frankly, I have uh, collagen peptides in my cabinet, but I don't get around to using it very often. And I'm just not like, I don't know, I'm just not a protein powder kind of person. But I could definitely see, oh, I'm going to take this little shot here. And and so if you if that's what you're rocking, I don't mind i think that's awesome just don't you don't have to like buy into the hype or the marketing of this liquid collagen is superior to other you know collagen supplements hydrolyzed and or you know the collagen peptides which is what i prefer collagen peptides are dissolved in water you can add them to anything you can add them to your oatmeal really and then collagen I think it's great to get it from bone broth, too. I think it's great if you want to make gummies and get collagen in that way. Just know what you want from it and what the benefits are that you want from it. And then that will determine whether you, you you know, want marine collagen, which Vital Proteins makes, or collagen peptides, or the green canister, which is actually collagen that you would use to make gummies. So that's all. Okay. Okay. Last question is from Lauren. She says, tips for somebody struggling with... And ovulatory cycles at age 30. I've been off hormonal birth control for almost two years, but still not ovulating. And blood work at multiple points of my cycle confirms both low estrogen and progesterone. Background, I'm 5'2". I put on 
10 pounds after long periods of overexercising, not eating enough in early 20s. I ate a nutrient-dense diet and have decreased exercise to three to four times a week. My OBGYN doctor is recommending progesterone pills, but I hate the idea of that after 13 years on the pill. Should I try holistic supplements? And number two, she says natural solutions for acid reflux. Been struggling for a few months and they I really don't want to go back on PPIs since I was on them for years in the past and they damaged my gut and caused SIBO. Okay. Okay. So, an, an anovulatory cycle means that you're menstruating, but you're not necessarily ovulating, right? And for two years off of the pill, like two years is a, is a pretty decent amount of time. And so, I would want to maybe do a little bit more digging. I mean, I could also say reduce stress, cut even more exercise and see what happens, but there, you know, people have different responses to the pill. And honestly, there are biochemical reasons and lifestyle reasons and all of that, like for why. And so it may be worth taking a deeper look to see if there are some other things going on right now. Of course, it could just involve some more relaxing over time because you were engaged in some under eating behaviors and, and maybe those uh, things are still with you. Maybe you're still low on nutrients or maybe you're still not eating a lot of fat. So you're not absorbing a lot of nutrients, right? Like it's important to eat all the macronutrients. Um, maybe there are still aspects of your eating that are restrictive. Like that's really important. I'm foregrounding that. Um, I would definitely take a really hard look at, uh, ways in which you could be nourishing abundantly with carbs, fats, proteins, calories, and not exercising and sleeping a lot. In terms of what else could be going on, I would uh, maybe, I don't know if they looked at your LH and FSH, but these are two hormones involved in the menstrual cycle uh, and play a really big role in triggering ovulation. Of course, estrogen and progesterone are also um, important for that, but they do, um, they play a role and I would look and see if those are um, out of balance as well. It's possible that looking into them might suggest that maybe you're um, dealing with PCOS, possibly, um, if they're imbalanced in the, um, with the PCOS profile. Uh, you might also want to look into whether you have any thyroid issues, which can, you know, throw off signaling in the menstrual cycle. Uh, and so I would get T3, T4, um, tested for sure, uh, maybe antibodies for Hashimoto's. So, um, and TSH, of course. Uh, so those are uh, PCOS and thyroid are some things to look into. We're just looking more at those hormones. You might also want to look into your vitamin D status or start supplementing with vitamin D. It's very important um, for uh, the reproductive cycle. And also maybe uh, vitamin C is just great for everything. So just... <laughs> um, but here uh, is one other thing that I want to uh, raise as a potential player in this, um, which is a genetic uh, polymorphism for the um, MTHFR, the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme. Um, so having the genetic polymorphisms that decrease activity of this enzyme uh, are significantly associated with lower uh, hormone levels and with uh, disrupted menstrual cycles um, with anovulation. And there's actually been studies done on whether supplementing with folate, which is 
something people do when they have this uh, genetic polymorphism. Uh, supplementing with folate for people who have this has been demonstrated to uh, make a difference in the development of eggs and ovulation throughout somebody's um, menstrual cycle. Um, so this um, MTHFR enzyme uh, is plays a role in the methylation pathway in the body, which is like crucial for just about everything. It's crucial for fertility. Um, and it helps in the creation of glutathione, which they often call the master antioxidant. And glutathione also helps um, protect developing egg cells. And methyl groups are an integral part of DNA production. Um, and yeah, and, and women with, uh, with this kind of enzyme uh, polymorphism uh, have been shown to have altered FSH levels. So um, what can you do for that? Uh, well, uh, you can supplement with folate. You can eat a bunch of folate-rich foods. Um, green vegetables are high on that list. Uh, there are also, of course, uh, and also uh, liver, like all the class of B vitamins, liver, kidney, organs, uh, grass-fed, pasture-raised um, animal products be great, could be great. Um if you go with a supplement, definitely get a methylated form. You could do just folate or you could do a, a B-complex, um, again, in uh, methylated forms. If it's 12, then look for methylcobalamin, I believe, is um, what what seems to be the best that we're talking about these days um, for absorption. Um, then also you might want to look into uh, like things that the methyl – uh, things that are resources that are commonly used uh, by the methylation process to try to shore them up. Um, creatine, um, a lot of meth a lot of the methyl groups in your body are used for creatine biosynthesis. So if you eat it, your body doesn't have to make as much. Of course, creatine is found in meat, pork, poultry, liver, you know, the organs. So there's a decent chance you get enough of that, um, but it's worth thinking about glycine, which I mentioned earlier in this podcast. So there are three primary amino acids that go into the production of glutathione. Um, there's uh, glutamine, which is reasonably abundant. Um, and then there is glycine, which, as I mentioned, needs to be in balance with other amino acids, specifically methionine in the body and isn't often. So supplementing with glycine can help. And then cysteine, which is why people take N-acetylcysteine, um, because that is also a limiting factor uh, relative to the other two. Um, and then choline is uh, all commonly found in eggs and it's a class of, it's a part of the B vitamins and can be also um, really helpful for this cycle. So I mentioned all of those things about methylation because uh, yeah, it has been demonstrated to be related to reproductive system health. Um, and it's it's worth it. You can actually, you can get your genetic testing done at like 23andMe, which I have done, uh, and find out if you have these polymorphisms. If, again, if you want to do more digging into this, but also uh, if you don't, eating uh, more and like all the other stuff could still be, you know, quite helpful regardless of whether you find out um yeah, if this could be a factor for you. So anyway, I would, yeah, I would just add that I, the fact that you're still working out three to four times a week is still might be a little bit too much. So initially, right. and how much are you, sorry. And like, how much are you exercising? Right. Cause some people like are like, Oh, intensity. I like workout. Yeah. Some people yeah. are like, Oh, I like, you know, I do yoga. And some people are like, I'm doing 96 minutes of CrossFit, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's different. What are you doing? Totally. 
Yeah. So I think it's really before you start making decisions about should I go on another medication, mm. I think you give yourself one to three months of, okay, I'm going to work out three times a week or I'm going to work out once a week. And it's just going to be walking and my heart rate's not going to give a, get above 110. If your heart rate's, if you're getting high, you're doing high intensity stuff and your heart rate's getting above 110, you have, I think it's time to take a step back and say, all right, I'm going to go all in and I'm just going to give this a go. I'm going to keep nourishing my body because you have the history. You have the history of hypothalamic amenorrhea and not ovulating. If you've finally gotten a bleed back, that's good. I think we just have a little bit more work to do. And you also always have the option of pursuing balancing hormones with maybe a and looking into things further with a naturopathic doctor, for example, as opposed to just going the conventional route. I think we can always use both together. But the conventional route set, uh, way says, OK, here's a medication. Let's get it working. Naturopathic is let's figure out what's going on with your hormones and let's resolve the root cause, which I think um, is really important here as well. That's really helpful. And I'm foregrounding that. And I like it. I also want to say something some people do do sometimes is try the try the Provera thing, the progesterone thing for one cycle and then stop and see if it like kickstarts it. And I'm not saying mm -hmm. that's that's necessarily, you know, but you could. I like your idea of taking a few months you know, living the sloth exercise life, seeing <laughs> yeah. if that does something like I'm all about that. Um, but there is that sort of in between of, of trying the Provera once. If you if you decide that you want to lean into your doctor's uh, recommendation, you don't have to do it, you know, for years. Okay. Yeah, like that. I like that a lot. And then for the acid reflux, I will just say that it is very common to experience digestive issues alongside of this over-exercising, under-eating, hypothalamic amenorrhea, just chronic dieting thing. And it is really because of the stress and the anxiety that dieting can put on our both our physical but our mental health. So when you're under-eating, your body's not getting the nutrients it needs. You're not getting the raw materials you need to make things like digestive enzymes. You're not eating these raw nutrients that are really important for nourishing the gut and helping your gut microbiome flourish so the bacteria in your gut flourish. And Second, like just constantly living in a state of starvation is is really stressful. So like your body actually has these physiological responses to that because it sees it as a stressor. So your your body upregulates cortisol, it downregulates thyroid horm hormones and your metabolism. So your metabolism slows down. Your motility can slow down, which is really important, especially when we're talking about SIBO, because things are going to stay in your digestive tract longer. And, you know, you're going to have downregulated sex hormones, all the things. So we're, you're seeing that with your low estrogen. You're seeing, we're seeing that with low progesterone. This is, this is a normal response. And so it does take time to heal. But unfortunately, it can create this sort of long-term issue where you're eating in this now stressed out state, your food's not getting digested, you're not, you don't have the raw materials to make really important digestive enzymes, large materials, large food, undigested food can make it into your digestive tract down into your intestines. And that can cause things like intestinal permeability or SIBO or dysbiosis. So, you know, differences or overgrowths of bacteria, and that's going to cause bloating. And that actually connects directly to acid ref reflux. So when you, that is what we're, 
kind of is the prevailing theory of what is the underlying cause of acid reflux is this overgrowth, is SIBO, is dysbiosis, because it creates this sort of interabdominal pressure and it forces your your stomach acid, the, those gastric juices, up through the sphincter, the sphincter that that um, separates your esophagus and your stomach and actually pushes it up. So it's not that you have too much stomach acid. It's actually, actually because you have too little stomach acid and things aren't being digested. It causes a lot of gas, bloating. Your gut bugs do not like that. And it can cause that acid reflux. And so I think really focusing on eating in a not stressed state, slow, deep breaths, making sure that you switch into a parasympathetic state when you're eating is really, really important long term. And I also think it's just worth noting as an aside, like your the PPI, so the proton pump inhibitors, they were never they were approved by the FDA for eight weeks of use. They were they were never intended to be this like long term for years or even decades medication as prescribed today. So just keep that in mind. And I think you it seems like you might have been tested for SIBO and you you have this understanding of what happened in the, in the past. So I think I hope that you've you know resolved that. But moving forward from here. It's now doing things like making sure that you're eating in a parasympathetic state, making sure that you're reducing things that we know can create this acid reflux, which is sugar and alcohol and artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohol. So reduce that and then make sure you track your food and that you know your triggers. I when I did my episode with Sarah K. Hoffman all about SIBO. She had a lot of recommendations for taking digestive enzymes and taking bitters to really improve motility, so to keep that food moving through quickly. So people with thyroid issues tend to have struggle with SIBO and digestive dysfunction because their metabolism kind of slows down and sometimes their motility slows down. So that's why you have more gas and bloating and stuff like that, for example. So taking bitters will actually kind of keep that motility moving um, keep food moving so that it doesn't sit and ferment and cause disruption, more SIBO, you know, dysbiosis, et cetera, with your gut bugs. Um, and then L-glutamine. So L-glutamine is the most abundant amino acid in the body. It can support the healing of the intestinal lining and reduce inflammation of your gut. So it's a supplement that's often prescribed for people dealing with leaky gut or that intestinal permeability. So I think that um, that might be something to supplement with too long term. Do you have anything else to add on the acid reflux in combination with the lack of ovulation, hormone imbalances, all the things? Um, no. Okay, great. Well, that's it from us. I think we wrapped it up fairly quickly, but also not. So enjoy <laughs> over an hour episode. <laughs> Uh, much to Steph's dismay. Um, okay, thank you guys for being here. We will... Uh, I'm find more from me coconutsandkettables.com more from stephanie at stephanie.ruper on instagram her brand now is health to empower.com and we're excited for stephanie in the next uh phase of her life and thank you guys for being here for 350 episodes it's just such an honor to be able to spend this time with you 350 hours and more because i always go over so Uh, We appreciate you and we absolutely love being a part of your life. And um, yeah, it's an honor. So we will talk to you next week. 